0: Last week was a political turmoil across Europe. Uh, I don't know whether you were one of the 36% of uh, people who voted in the European elections. The uh, UK political world, especially with regards to Europe, was turned upside down by a certain Nigel Farage, uh, leader of the UKIP party, who was 300,000 voters ahead of uh, his party, ahead of any other party winning 28 seats in the European elections, I think. A major success that only a few years ago were regarded as uh, a loony fringe group and now have pretty much taken very much centre stage. On the day of the elections from Harrogate, somebody tweeted out and said this, why are you voting UKIP this year? Tell us, tell Twitter and let's get it trending with a hashtag of why I'm voting UKIP. It started off with some serious suggestions and then people cottoned onto this and then uh, completely uh, turned the whole conversation uh, around. And uh, I thought there was some quite amusing correspondence with thousands and thousands of people replying to that thing of why I'm voting UKIP. So why I'm voting UKIP? Because I hate all that foreign muck. I like good British food like curry and Chinese. <laughs> uh, why I'm voting UKIP? Because not even my cats speak English and there's two of them and one of me and feel marginalised in my own home. Uh, Because I've heard uh, they were taking Britain out of Europe, so I'm hoping they move it somewhere hot like the Caribbean. (laughs) Uh, Why I'm voting UKIP? Because Mr. Sheen left smears on my window and it says on the bottle that he's Polish. Okay, Uh, okay, the delayed one there. (laughs) Uh, I'm voting, why I'm voting UKIP? Because I am sick and tired of Russian meerkats coming over here comparing our indigenous British markets, Simple's. Uh, Because I had to move to Spain to get away from all the immigrants who are ruining Britain. And uh, why I'm voting UKIP? Because 11,000 immigrants are in prison, 500,000 in social housing, and there are currently 2.2 million Brits lost in Ikea. So... um. (laughs) Uh, Not just in the UK, but right across Europe. Uh, There's lots of roots and shoots investigations taking place right at this moment. This uh, political uprising, policies being rewritten, manifestos being binned, torn up, and being reprinted. The good news is that we're now less than one year away from the national elections in this country. Mm. 11 months of amazing promises. 11 months of more money promised in your pocket, lower crime, fewer Romanians, all promising bigger, brighter, better world. But is that possible? There is an estimate that according to UNICEF, 870 million people chronically undernourished. One in eight, or one in four if you live in Africa. UNICEF estimate 22,000 children every day die due to poor nourishment. Eight million a year. I read this story. It was the best moment of the day. Not the warm smiles and the waves of the villagers, not the sound and sight of sparkling precious water hitting the waiting buckets, not even the laughs of children seeing how my camera worked. It was a photographer on behalf of UNICEF. Instead, the moment that brought us all to laughs, clapping, and tears came from one little wail from a tiny two-year-old. The nurse had tried to change the angle of the plumpy nut, uh, this high nutritional bar. This plumpy nut, and little Hassan was so tightly clutching it. Moments before, he was motionless in his mother's arms, only reacting with shrieks as the nurse and the nutritionist tried to weigh him. We didn't need the red marker of the band measuring his arm circumference to tell that he was severely malnourished. With tiny arms and legs, little Hassan looked to me much more like a small infant than a boy who was now two. At two, he weighed just over her stone, half the weight of what he should have done. Later, we followed his 17-year-old mother and his grandmother back to the village to their home sitting in colorful straw mats with Hassan's cousins gathered around him. They told their story. They brought Hassan to the clinic once he became sick. For them, the food crisis is very personal. No rain meant that, no harvest this year. No harvest meant no food in their storage. And if they didn't have any extra money to buy the supplies they lacked, they went to bed hungry without eating anything at all that day. It's something that had been happening often. Hassan's dad had gone to nearby Nigeria to find work, but with the insecurity in that nation, that has meant that even work was scarce. And so the family waited and hoped, and the smallest and most vulnerable like Hassan suffered. The diagnosis of severe malnourishment meant Hassan will get plump enough. But first there is the test. Is he strong enough to take the nourishment he so desperately needs? The aid workers, the other mothers, and Hassan's fa- family fall silent as the little one is given the package with a vitamin-rich paste. He begins to chew slowly at first becoming a bit more forceful with the food at each bite and then when the health worker tries to change the angle of the packet we hear his impatient cry, "Hassan has got his food and he's not giving it up, for much of the day I feel like my camera has been just another annoyance for the busy health worker but with this cry she suddenly turns, she looks me in the eye and she shoots me a grin, the other mothers clap, in short it's a good sign. In, way, in a way, we're all rooting for the survival of Hassan. He's he just, his, his, his just taking his first steps towards a chance of growing up. Unfortunately, there's many more who have just as far to go. Like a pair of one-year-old twins who look on nearby. They look like newborns. The mother is thin herself, has not been able to produce milk for them. A secret she is hidden in shame until there is no way to hide anymore. The lack of nutrients is clear by one look at the little ones. And the story goes 50 percent of the world population live on one pound 80 a day less than one percent of money spent on world weapons will put every child into school and yet it's spent on war instead and then we look at the conflicts that are taking place around the world at the moment we look into syria governments massacres of the government massacres of citizens within this civil war Tens of thousands killed, still no solution. 130,000 estimated killed in the last three years alone and three million refugees now displaced. Then we go to Sudan and the South Sudan. The genocide of Darfur, which was mainly about 10 years ago, and the North and South, and the war ended five years ago. The South voted independence, achieved in 2011, but has slipped into civil war which has already reportedly killed 10,000 people. Ten-year-old Niagona from South Sudan remembers the last time she saw her mother. Fighting started in the middle of the night, she told us. We woke up scared and ran out to find a place to hide. And when I got outside, my mother, uh, we saw my father dead on the ground. My mother kept screaming, pulling me to run and to hide. They hid in the bush for four days and, niagona and her mother then returned to the village thinking that the fighting was over but within hours the nightmare began again and when i was sleeping my mother came and said we needed to run to the camp at malachi where where they would protect us and niagona said outside everyone was running and screaming and many were being killed i didn't look back and when i reached the place i tried to find my mother she had disappeared i'd never seen her again niagona was alone and frightened she couldn't find a mother. Weeks went by. She started to lose hope. She couldn't sleep at night, scared that the violence would start again if she closed her eyes. She joined a group of displaced people going to Pagak, almost 300 kilometers away. These were her memories. We walked two months, little food, water. Many died on the way. We had to cross the rivers by boat or by swimming. Sometimes we would get chance to eat if we passed villages where the people weren't fighting. Poverty conflict. Central Africa Republic alarming levels of sectarian uh, fighting. In the Yemen several conflicts ongoing amidst amidst political chaos. Democratic Republic of Congo nasty fighting continues across many locations. Burma still fighting along the borders with China. Thailand insurgents attacking in the far south. Nigeria in the north. The violent Islamist groups instigated repeated violence, such as bombings and massacres. Now they're killing polio vaccine workers and kidnapping teenage girls. Hashtag bring back our girls. In reality today, there are more slaves than ever. Estimated upwards of 30 million worldwide. In places like India, Pakistan, Bangladesh huge amount of people caught up in debt slavery of generation after generation of families not being able to pay back the debt unable to free themselves the issues of human trafficking uh, being people being tricked and kidnapped and coerced into a better life and extreme exploitation this is a report from international justice mission a worker on the ground I've spent nearly 30 years in law enforcement with six of these as an IJM investigator. I've seen people suffering in the hands of powerful oppressive criminals all over the world. But when I went with IJM to investigate child slavery in Western African nation last year in 2013, I was wholly unprepared for what we saw. Children suffering all around us with no one at all to protect them. We were on Lake Volta, the world's largest man-made lake, where tens of thousands of boys, some as young as four, work on fishing boats during peak season. Experts in Ghana agree that many of these boys are slaved, but no one knew quite how many. Our team was there to confirm the scale of the problem and determine what IJM could do. For 16 intense days, we lived undercover, started at 4.30 each morning, and we travelled to a targeted area of the lake to uncover the truth about the children working there. Talking to the boat masters, we learn how they operated. They will go to a far-off village and buy very young boys because the youngest are easiest to control. One man personally showed us six boys available for $150 each. The slave owners convinced families that the boys will be educated and receive work, but these children are not paid. They're not educated. They're not cared for. They are trapped. And soon it becomes quite easy and heartbreaking to spot them. These boys were torn, dirty, ragged clothing. Many had no clothes at all, nothing. Most of the boys had distended stomachs, skin diseases, hair falling out, open sores and wounds. Some were starving and hopefully crying as we approached. Others looked completely exhausted and their eyes vacant of emotion. We were amazed that these children could wrestle huge fish into the boats and pull massive fishing lines. Their arms and bodies are deeply scarred from the fish with sharp teeth or spikes. And if a net gets stuck, they have to swim down and untangle. Many of the boys drown. During those 16 days on the lake, we spoke with 780 children and found that 470 of them, 60% had in fact been sold into slavery. I will never forget one boy named Gabriel. He was 18, but told how he was trafficked at the age of 11. Covered head to toe in scars, he said he was beaten every day for seven years by his master. There was a five-year-old in a boat too. He would share the same fate. Gabriel seemed to sense we were there to help. Don't leave me with this man, he begged us. He's wicked. Don't leave us. So the girl in South Sudan, a four-year-old child in Ghana, malnutritioned toddlers, 270 teenage girls held by Islamic militants, they need to know a better world. What actually they need is hope that one day things will get better. What they need is not a beauty queen in a pageant saying that she will bring about world peace. What they don't need is a politician talking rhetorically of how they're going to end conflict. What they need is a redeemer. What they need is a liberator. Now in this teaching series at the moment which is isaiah it's not really to look at the book of isaiah the reason why we're using this old testament book is actually to point out what god is like people say during the big objections that i I don't like the idea of god because well he causes suffering or allows suffering i don't like god because he doesn't like gay people i don't like god because he will send people to hell I, i don't what we need to do is show people what God is like. And so actually we can get a lot of who God is like by looking into the Bible and us to understand and for us to then demonstrate to people who don't know what God is like. And Isaiah chapter 11 is an amazing manifesto of what God is going to do. A manifesto is a public declaration of intentions, opinions, objectives and motives issued by a government or sovereignty. And as we read through this, chapter 11, I want to see it as this amazing, astonishing manifesto of what is to come, the promises that are being made. As I was clearly pointing people towards a redeemer who was to come, who would act as the catalyst for the change. But then he was looking beyond what that catalyst would do to the life, what it would be like under this new leader. So, Isaiah chapter 11 It'll come up on the screen. There shall come forth a shoe from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. Now, if you're anything like me, when you read Isaiah, you go, what on earth is this about? One of the reasons why we go through it is to try and unpack what this complex book is about. So he's talking here from the stump. Here's a promise made to King David, actually, in 2 Samuel. It says that one day, from you, one of your descendants will come and rescue. There will always be a leader, but there will come a leader one day that will come and lead this nation. But the empire would go. All apart from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's dad. You see, what he's talking about, there'll be a remnant. There'll be something kind of gnarly in the ground. It won't quite be stubbed out. There'll be something barely in existence. It'll be the remains. It'll be the rem- remnant. But through those remains and through that rem- remnant, something will emerge that will produce grapefruit. It's kind of like foretelling one day. It, it, When it looks desperate, a champion will arrive. I'm not a gardener. I'm not very good at gardening. But we moved a rhubarb plant the other day. uh, Transplant is a posh word for chopping up this thing in the ground. And I delicately got the spade and just sliced it down the middle and then relocated it into the garden. And we thought, nothing's going to happen. It looked pretty gnarly and rubbish really but within days it really was within days there was new shoots coming out of this thing so what was one rhubarb plant has now been split several ways as three rhubarb plants which are all sending out these new shoots see one day it looked as if there was nothing and I was surprised it showed no promise but out of this nothing will one day come a crumble (laughs) out of this stump out of the remains, out of this remnant, the promise will emerge. And so Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from its roots that will bear fruit. And what will this leader be like? Well, he'll be humble. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, in verse 2, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the lord what is this leader going to be like not not a showman not a celebrity not a politician but this leader redeemer well he'll be full of wisdom and understanding he'll be doing the right thing at the right time with insight with respect and with compassion he will know how to respond in the right way this redeemer will have counsel and might he will able to give counsel able to act with courage not be dictated to by opinions not searching for popularity so he's not distracted by the polls able to act with conviction and integrity and to remain true to his convictions even if they are not popular what will this Redeemer be like? He will have the knowledge and the fear which will be gained from an understanding and experience shaped by learning and acquaintance and authenticity and humility born out of respect for a high authority. That is the sort of leader-redeemer that Isaiah is talking about. From the stump of Jesse will emerge one day this type of leader. Let's carry on, verse 3. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with the righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. With righteousness, right living, he shall judge the poor. He will actually be the advocate of the poor. He's not going to be corrupt. He's not going to be open to bribes. He's going to be standing on behalf as an advocate for those who are poor and with equity and with fairness and impartiality, he's going to deliver justice. This is good news for the poor. People who are standing on behalf of the poor, acting on their behalf. And that's the hope. The hope that one day there will come a day when poverty is no longer an issue, where resources will be distributed with equality and with fairness, not loaded to the rich, not determined by the fact that you were born in a certain nation not determined by what passport you carry in the pocket but shared out equally without prejudice or without bias that is the hope that's the hope that one day sex traffickers and violent pimps and warlords forcing children into children's armies will one day face a penalty for their crimes where the militants will have to give account for kidnappings where judges will have to give explanation for why they passed unjustifiable death sentences. That's what the victim needs to hear. That's the hope. That's the sort of world that Isaiah is now prophesying. Is looking through kind of these eyes and looking beyond and going, look, this is the world. This leader who's going to emerge from the stump of Jesse, what seems to be out of nothing, he will emerge and will bring fruit and the fruit will be justice. He will come, a leader who will deliver all of this. And in that day, we will then live in a land which is fair, which is non-discriminatory, which impartial, which is honest, which is upright, which is decent, which is good, where you won't have to beg for food or have sex for money or be subject to an enslaving debt you cannot pay. That's the sort of world that we are going to be living in. And that's the promise. One day from the stump of Jesse will come one who will bring justice. I read a tweet the other day from uh, Paul Carenza, some of you will know him, comedian, we've had him in the life of kings. Uh, You follow Andrew and he follows all these highly intellectual, very clever people, I follow Paul Carenza, and uh, Paul was very insightful the other day, he said, every night I watch the news and more and more it seems the world has gone stock, raving mad, meanwhile I clown around, what a strange planet. Mike Pilevacchi, well-known Christian leader in this country, said this a few days ago. I dream of a better world where chickens cross the road without their motives being questioned. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody else said this. Familiar. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that one day in the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four little children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. I have a dream today. Famous words by Martin Luther King. Isaiah had a dream. Let's look at Isaiah's dream. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall grace. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea what is Isaiah's dream? It's that one day all conflict will cease. No war, no enmity, global peace, global shalom, paradise regained. When you're caught up in the middle of world conflict or even local tribal conflict, when you are, I guess, one of the three million people who are displaced in Syria, when your family is being ripped apart because of these issues, what do you need to hear at that moment? And when families are at each other's throats and when communities clash because of racism and prejudice and when you hear mummy and daddy arguing and fighting again, what do you need to hear? What you need to hear in those situations is nothing. Silence peace you need someone who can bring peace and that's the promise one day from the stump of jesse will come one who not only brings justice but he will also bring peace verse 10 in that day the root of jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious in that day, the Lord will extend His hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of His people from Assyria, from Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea, which clearly means Seaford and Eastbourne. Verse 12: He will raise a signal for the nations, and He will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth, and the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart. And those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. And then verse 14. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they will plunder the people of the east, and they will put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey him, and the Lord will utterly destroy the tongues of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river and his scorching breath, and strike it into the seven channels to lead people across in the sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. And you're going, what on earth is that about? What's going on here? It's a gathering of the nations from the north and the east and the south and the west. And those who are standing in opposition to the nations are going to be defeated. This is Isaiah looking ahead into the future. And even the reference at the back end of that chapter where he talks about drying up of the sea and coming, as I did from the people of Egypt, it's a reminder of God has a rescue plan that he's going to be drawing his people together and the enemy that stands in opposition is going to be defeated. So not only do we see that justice is going to be part of this new kingdom, not only do we see peace is going to be part of it, we'll also see that liberty and freedom. Uniting the nations to him, giving victory to the enemies, bringing out the captivity which they have suffered. Just like he did when he brought the people out of Egypt, he'll bring people out of captivity into freedom. It's the hope of liberty. And when a four-year-old child on a lake in Ghana is pulling up the fish, and when Nigerian girls are facing their kidnappers as they wake up every morning, what do they need to see? They need to see the captors being overthrown and defeated. They need to be brought back home. And that's the hope. Those who were displaced, those who have been removed, those who have been separated, will one day come home. And one day from the stump of Jesse will come one who will bring liberty, who will overthrow the captor and bring us into this freedom. Isaiah is putting in this amazing picture a future world that is going to be characterized by justice and peace and liberty. And in order for such a world to exist, you really do need to have a champion. And the champion who's going to bring that all about is this champion that he says from the stump of Jesse will one day, otherwise just empty words in an election manifesto, there'll just be false promises of a better world being made. Who is this stump of Jesse? Who is Isaiah referring to? Well, you've got to follow that down. Fast forward Isaiah 700 years or so, and his name, Jesus. Who was born into this broken empire that was barely non-existent with the people dispersed. And yet this tiny baby born. And people say, does he have the credentials? Does he have what it takes? Is he that kind of leader? Well, he was full of wisdom and understanding. He was full of counsel and might. He was full of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So he certainly had the credentials, but does he have the capability to do what? To bring about justice and peace and liberty. To be honest, that's exactly what Jesus has already done. On a personal level, that's what Jesus has done. And the strangest places of all that he did that was through his death on the cross. You think, justice? How did the cross bring justice? Surely it was just like, it was so corrupt. He was so framed with this Jesus. He, he, he was set up. The, the religious, hypocritical leaders of the day, they maneuvered it and set him up. It was such an unjustified death. How can you say there was justice? It, it wasn't justice for Jesus. It's actually justice for us. Because what happened at the cross, so here was an innocent who was being blamed and found guilty and suffered the ultimate by being killed. But now he's arguing before God to say, you can't accuse those people. Why? Because someone else has already paid the price for them. Justice. I, he's now crying out justice for us on our behalf, saying, look, look they might, you might think they're guilty, but they're not guilty because someone else has already paid the price for that guilt i am the one who's paid the christ and now i want justice for these people it's good this is what the message says hebrews 12 the murder of jesus this homicide murder that cried out for vengeance became a proclamation of grace so justice was achieved at the cross what about peace Romans 5, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, justified, this is legally declared not guilty. As a result of justice, we've been legally declared not guilty. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wording of that is so important. It's the peace with God. It's not the peace of God. What we're not talking about is just an inner feeling of tranquility and calmness and security. We're not. It's peace with God. At one time, there was enmity. At one time, there was conflict. The relationship that we had with God was broken until Jesus brought peace. He ended the conflict. He resolved it. And what was broken, he repaired. He mended it. The bridges that had been knocked down, he has rebuilt. And what about liberty? Liberty. Romans 6, our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer, at sins every beck and call. What we believe is this, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we'll also get included in his life-saving resurrection. All your lives you've let sin tell you what to do. It's been this master. It's been this controlling influence over your life. You've allowed sin to control you like this, but thank God you've started listening to a new master, one, who commands, one whose command sets you free to live openly in his freedom. So at the cross, he has brought justice. At the cross, he has brought peace. At the cross, he has also bought our liberty and our freedom. Not only did Jesus have the credentials, he also has the capability, and he came from the stump of Jesse. And if I was voting, he'd get the tick in the box. In the future, what he's done for us, the manifesto promise, is that one day he would lead us into a new earth and a new heavens and a new way of life one that would be characterized by justice peace and liberty people ask the question what is god like i reckon this passage gives us a good indication that is a god who's going to put everything right With honesty, integrity and kindness and justice, where peace will reign without hostility or enmity, where liberty will be enjoyed because slavery and exploitation no longer exists. That's the sort of God we follow. It came from the stump of Jesse. It was always foreseen, it was always promised. The manifesto was written, but he's delivered what the people in the boats need what the captives in Nigeria need what the malnutrition child need is a redeemer what mankind needs is the same we all need a redeemer but with the hope and the promise that one day things will be better and that is the hope and the confidence that we have because it's already been demonstrated in Jesus So how do we let people know this? We need to let people know. Uh, People need to know about the kindness and the honesty and the integrity and the justice and the mercy and the freedom and the peace of God. Well, a couple of ways, by being the most generous community that overspills and blesses and faces poverty and tackles injustice. If people want to know what God is like, we need to be his foot soldiers on the ground who are showing people what God is like by being the most generous people to tackle injustice. That's why I love the fact that if you're in life groups, assuming that most of you are, that each life group leader pastor has now been given money that you as life groups can now spend in order to bless the community that you're a part of those who are living in some way, or some way in poverty or being marginalized, to bless. That's why as a church community we are supporting organizations like International Justice Mission so that four-year-olds can get rescued off lakes in Ghana. It's why we're investing into programs in Peru with our friends Roland and Jenny. It's why we've been very much backing Dave and June in Zimbabwe. It's why recently in the overspill we're able to go to our friend Tico and Blerta in albania and say to them how are you getting on what you're doing you're reaching this muslim community with the good news of jesus what do you need we need a new venue we'll pay for that venue for the hire for the next year we've just been able to overspill. why because we want justice to be shown so people get a taste of god and how else can we do that by being the most welcoming community in seaford by climbing the walls and building the bridges with people who we feel threatened By welcoming the immigrants and the nations and people groups into our homes and into this nation and into this church. Why? So that people can experience and taste something of the sweetness of the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And to be honest, that is perhaps probably why I'm not voting UKIP. But it is why I'm believing for a better future Isaiah could see it it's been revealed in Jesus and one day the promise will be fulfilled let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful that's the future that's the hope that's the gospel justice, peace, liberty let's pray Amazing, Lord. Amazing good news. When people get twisted and misunderstand who God is, just looking at this passage, however complicated and confusing it is initially, we can draw out some amazing truth. How we can just peel back the layers and go, wow, this is revealing our God. Thank you, Lord, that through Jesus Justice has been given. Thank you that none of us deserve that. But you are now shouting on our behalf to say, do you know what? Some price or price has already been paid for that person. I demand justice for them. Thank you, oh God, that you have brought peace between us. Thank you that hostility has now ended and enmity has now finished. Why? Because of Jesus. And oh God, we thank you that freedom and liberty has come. Again, because of Him, we thank you for the hope, we thank you for the certainty, we thank you for the confidence that we have that the brighter and better and glorious world yet to come, we can taste it, we've seen a shadow of it, we've enjoyed it ourselves. But I also pray, Father, that in these days between the now and then, that you'll help us to communicate this so that people taste it and see that the Lord is good, it's justice and mercy and kindness and peace and liberty and freedom oh god we pray for our response help us to play our part in order to show who our god is jesus name amen